This morning, I'm going to be in the Gospel of Luke, the 16th chapter. If you want to open your Bibles to that passage, we're going to be looking at the parable or the teaching of Jesus about the rich man and Lazarus. I want to, to get you thinking, though, before we read the Scripture. I want to get you thinking a little bit ahead of some of the points I want to share this morning. And this is the question. Well, it started like this in my mind. I was having a conversation recently with, with Cassidy, our daughter, and, and I was just trying to impart fatherly wisdom on my children. And I was trying to just encourage her to take full advantage of the opportunities and the uh, experiences she has at this age, you know, in, in middle school, getting closer to high school, you, you know, those, those wonders and, and just joys that I think sometimes we don't fully appreciate at that time in our lives, and which I don't think she fully appreciates, which I didn't fully appreciate, which most of you probably didn't appreciate. And so I was trying to, you know, kind of infuse her with some of those words of wisdom to, to seize those opportunities. And I, and, and I said to her, I said, I started sharing some of the regrets I had from, from my youth. Not earth-shattering regrets, but some of the regrets I, I look back on and think, man, I wish I'd taken full advantage of some of those opportunities and some of the time that I had at that stage in my life. And it was the, the theme of regret that started to kind of resonate with me. It started to, to just kind of play over and over in my mind, and, and far more significant than, than that conversation. But, but this is the question I want you to, to ask yourself this morning. If you knew today was your last day on earth, if you knew today was the last day that you had to spend, that, that within this day you would stand before God, that your, your years on this earth would, would come to an end, what would you regret? What would you regret? Not having done, not having said, not having taken advantage of. What is it that, that you think, man, I wouldn't want it to, to be over today because of this? And that's the question I just want kind of bouncing around for a little bit this morning as we talk about this story that Jesus teaches about a rich man and Lazarus. It's an interesting thing. I want to preface this, that only one of the characters in the story is named. I don't necessarily think that's an accident. But I want you to hear or follow along in your Bible this morning as I read from Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 19. This is what Jesus teaches. He says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple, in fine linen, and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. 
So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, that this story would speak to us, challenge us, even if necessary, convict us that we grow in faith and faithfulness. Bless these words now by the presence of your Holy Spirit. In Christ we pray. Amen. The name Steve Wozniak. How many of you are familiar with the name Steve Wozniak? A few of you know, know the name? Okay. If I mentioned his business partner in the early 70s, a fellow by the name of Steve Jobs, how many of you would recognize that name? Okay, more of you. Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs were the two founders of Apple in the, in the 70s. They, they were part of the, the, the birth of what's become the, the machine, which for many of our lives inf- infuses our life in one way or another. Most of us, if, if not immediately familiar with the name, immediately make the connection. Jobs and Wozniak. But I'm curious if anybody's ever heard of Ron Wayne. Anybody familiar with the name Ron? Not John, Ron Wayne. I didn't think so. Ron Wayne was also one of the co-founders of Apple in the 70s. He owned initially 10% of Apple. Wozniak owned 45%. Jobs owned 45%. Ron Wayne owned 10%. A little older than the other two. Had more assets, had accumulated some, some assets over the years, had had some failed business ventures. And so in the very, very early stages of Apple, he actually helped design those early logos, and certainly the logo that we're very familiar with. But in those early days when they had taken a $15,000 loan to start the company, uh, he started to realize that he had the most risk because if it went belly up, if it didn't work, then he had assets that creditors could come after. The other two were just, they had nothing anyway. But he knew, gosh, I have, I have some things that, that I could lose in this, and I've lost before. So very, very early, he decided to basically sell back his 10% to Wozniak and Jobs. And so somewhere between the, I've, I've read various reports, between 18, I mean, $800 and $1,500, he sold back his 10%. If he had held his 10% of Apple, anybody want to guess what it would be worth today? Anybody want to guess? 
ten, yeah, a lot of zeros. That 10% of Apple computers today would be worth over $37 billion. A lot of zeros. $37 billion. But this is what I find interesting about the, I read an interview with Ron Wayne, and they asked him, do you regret it? And he said, I have no regrets. He said, I have no regrets. He said, I made the best decision that I could at the time with what I knew. And he said, I have my family, I have my health, I have no regrets. I don't know that I would have that outlook <laughs> if I was wrong. But I, 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 I'm fascinated and I believe in. And, and I thought about that on, on a greater scale. What would it look like for us to come to the end of our lives, to come to the end of our days with no regrets? Now, I'm not saying Ron Wayne has no other regrets in his life. And, and I'm not saying that any of us are ever really going to come to the end of our life with not some level of regret, some things we'd wished maybe we'd done different. But, but I think I'm talking about in a much bigger scope. What, what would it look like for us to, to face those final moments of our life, to prepare to come into God's glory and to not look back with regrets? That's something that challenges me. And so it got me thinking, and, and it got me thinking about this parable, this story that Jesus teaches, because at its heart, it is a story about regrets. This rich man who lives in the lap of luxury his entire life comes to the end of his life and to the afterlife and he has to face the regrets, the consequences really, but it's the consequences that lead to the regrets for the decisions he's made and the life that he has led. And that's not an uncommon experience. There was, uh, I think about a year or so ago, uh, a nurse, I don't know if she was a hospice nurse, but I suspect she was, um, who wrote, uh, wrote some articles, and I think it's been turned into a book, um, after having done basically field research for many, many years about the, the five most common regrets of people when they came to the end of their life, when they faced the moments that I had you kind of thinking about, when they were at that moment of, death, of death's door. And I want to share some of those with you. Um, I actually want to share the five that she lists, and I have them here, that, that she had said. And, and it, again, this is not, I didn't have you necessarily thinking about your five for us to, to share, but you can just do a kind of a mental checklist to see whether these connect with you. She said one of the, and they're not in any particular order until the last one. Uh, she said one of the common regrets that she said people said is, I wish that I had let myself be happier. People said that I pretended to be far more content than I was. I wished I had laughed more. I wished I had been sillier more. I wished I'd been open more. But I wished I had allowed myself to be happier in the circumstances of my life. Number four and three really are both relational. 
But number four is I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Social connection. I wish I had nurtured and held on to those friendships that mattered, that were important to me. And number three, which doesn't sound relational, but it is, and this is one I wonder if would be common in some of our lists, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. That was the most common of men that she uh, surveyed. But I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Now, you think, well, well, how is that relational? Well, think about it. What does work take us away from? I mean, what's, the, what's the, basically the opposite of that? I, I, we, we have to kind of read into it, but, but I think if we were going to finish that statement, I wish I hadn't worked so hard, and I wish I had used that time to spend with the people that I loved, family, friends, whatever. But I wish I had found, I think, a better, again, I'm going to paraphrase, I wish I had found a better line between those two because work is absolutely necessary. But I wish I hadn't devoted so much of my life to it. Number two, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings, to be honest with, with how I felt, to be honest with what I was experiencing and going through inside. I wished I'd had the courage to express my feelings. And then number one, and this is the one that I found the most fascinating. I wished I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not according to what others expected of me. I wished I'd lived a life true to myself, not according to what others expected of me. And here's how I paraphrase that. I wish I'd lived a life of integrity, where the values that mattered to me, the behaviors that I believed that should have governed my life were the behaviors that governed my life. I wished that what I felt and believed on the inside is what was revealed on the outside. That's what integrity is. It's when there's the inside and the outside match. I have a, a, a great um, idea for a sermon I'll share with you down the road. Uh, unpacking integrity a little bit. But the idea that, that I had f- followed through on the convictions of, of who I am and who I was called and created to be. And, and I'm, I'm phrasing that a little bit more in the, our context as a, a community of faith. But I, but I found that interesting. I wish I had been true to myself. We come to this story of, of Lazarus and this rich man, and we read a story of regret. We, not of Lazarus. Lazarus didn't have the choice. to. I mean, he couldn't choose happiness. Happiness for Lazarus was just to receive the scraps from the rich man's table. That never came. But they're the regrets that are implicit in this story of the choices that this rich man made with his life. And I want to look at that for a few moments. And the first regret that I see in this story is that he did not listen and did not faithfully follow the teachings, it says, of the law and of the prophets. Now, now, what were the teachings of the law and the prophets? Well, Leviticus. Jesus quotes from Leviticus when he says, 
Love your neighbor as yourself. See, we always think of Jesus' words, but Jesus is quoting the, the Old Testament law when he says that. The, the rich man knew the law. He was, he was Jewish. He knew what was expected. Love your neighbor as yourself. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 58 says, feed the hungry. Bring in the homeless. In other words, he says, I wish I had done what I knew I should have done. I wish I had followed the teachings of the faith and that had been at some point infused in him. Now, how do we know that that's a regret? Because what does he want to do for his brothers? He wants Lazarus to go. He wants Abraham to allow. And again, this is a figurative story. This is not meant to paint a literal picture of what heaven looks like. Jesus is using this to make a much deeper point. And Abraham becomes the focal figure because he's the father, Father Abraham. And he says to Abraham, let Lazarus appear to my brothers to let them know they need to take this stuff seriously. He regrets that he didn't listen. And what goes hand in hand with that regret is that not only did he not listen, he didn't act. See, this is where his regret of a life of integrity. He didn't act upon what he knew he had been called to do, what God had asked of him in his life. He, every day, it is, it is very clear, this image that Jesus wants to paint of this beggar, of this, of this sad sight of a man who is covered in sores and in desperate need, and Jesus says that he is laid at the doorstep of the rich man. What does that mean? Every time the man walks in and out of his house, every time his friends come over for the banquets and to enjoy the party, they have to literally step over the beggar. They have to step over the man of need to go and enjoy the luxury of the lifestyle that the rich man was afforded. And what does his regret look like? It looks like the regret of a man who knew on the inside what he was called to do and never lived it on the outside. Never cared for the needy. Never offered out of his abundance, out of his gifts, out of his blessings, to care and to reach and to, to love someone else. And so Jesus says he is now in torment. And notice the irony of what he asks. He asks Abraham to allow Lazarus to dip his finger in water and come and cool his tongue. He asks, it's an interesting turn of events because on part of it you say he still doesn't get it because he's asking Abraham to allow Lazarus to come and serve him. You know, he still doesn't quite get it. He still there's, there's a hierarchy he hasn't understood has now been reversed. But the other piece of irony here is he's asking Abraham to allow Lazarus to come do for him what he never did for Lazarus. To just do something, a little something. And so what's the core of his regret? That he didn't listen and he didn't do didn't listen to the prophets, and he didn't live a life of integrity in which his actions were shaped by his belief, by his profession of faith, by the teachings of the prophets. And the foreshadow of the story is the very last line that Abraham says when he begs 
Abraham to, to let Lazarus go and appear to his brothers. And he says, if they have not listened to the law and the prophets, they will not listen even if a man comes back from the dead. Now there's an aha moment. That's not just about the story of what Jesus is foreshadowing. He's planting a seed in the life of his disciples. He's planting a seed in our life because we are people who do live in a time when one has come back from the dead to call us to a new way of life, to challenge us to step out in a new direction and to live lives of significance so that when we stand before the one who has come back from the dead, we don't stand as a people full of regrets, but rather as a people who have lived as faithfully as we could. Now, we're not perfect, okay? We're, we're not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm not saying that, that we can get it all right. But I'm talking about the big regrets. The regrets that are born out of a people who profess one thing and live different lifestyles. The regrets born out of a people who are blessed in abundance, and most of us are, and yet fail to share out of those blessings and those abundance of others. I'm talking about a people who one day stand before God and say, man, I wish I had listened a little bit more. I wish I had lived a life of integrity in whatever avenue you're called, in which the faith that I sang about every Sunday, the faith that I professed in the Apostles' Creed a lot of Sundays, the faith that we read about in our scriptures, the faith that we talked about in our Bible studies, the faith that we discussed in our small groups, that that faith got lived out in the actions of my life. That's where the rich man falls short. God isn't, or Jesus isn't condemning him because he was affluent. His condemnation comes out of his failure to share out of his affluence, out of his blessings, out of his abundance with others. And so his regrets would come back upon him. We are called, like the rich man, to share out of our abundance. And that is not just a financial thing. This isn't just about saying put more in the offering plate or, or give just in that way, though that may be exactly what you're called to do. That may be exactly what God is challenging in your life out of your affluence and financial resources, whether it be here or in other ways, to bless. But it's to say that we've all been blessed in some ways. We, we spent this past week, again, with, um, with Mary Beth and with Bill Hancock and those of us that gathered and did a spiritual gifts assessment. And let me challenge you. If you didn't do that, when it comes back around, do it. Because it speaks to our blessings, the gifts that God has given. And it's not dollar signs. It's the talents that have been infused in each of us. The passions that Christ has born in each of us. And the challenge becomes, do we hear in such a way that we share out of our abundance? That we live lives of integrity? in our relationships. It may start with your family. It always starts with your family. I mean, that's where it begins. If you're not living in abundance with those closest to you of your time, your love, your, your gratitude, then, then start there. But also with others all around us. What are the ways in which we can share out of what God has given? That, that's the heart of, of a celebration of a Stephen ministry. And a celebration of other ministries is what ways are God calling you? Our Stephen ministers are one of the ministries in which people share out of their abundance. And that abundance may be their time. 
The abundance may be the compassion that God's given to them. Their abundance may be their caring for people who are hurting. And so they invest themselves and they share. There's a lot of ministries that happen here, but you know what? There's a lot of ways that happens beyond here. It's not just a church thing. It's how do you live it in your neighborhoods? How do you live it in your workplace? How do you live it in your schools? How do you share out of your abundance? You see, what the rich man fell prey to, what many of us fell prey, is, is he became a hoarder. He became a hoarder of his blessings. You know, we've seen those reality shows where people just hoard everything. And we go, man, that's, most of us look at that and go, that is nuts. That's just, that's crazy. There's something not right there. But how many of us hoard in other ways? It just may not be in the physical way, but we hoard our time. We hoard our talents. We hoard our resources because we're afraid it's going to run out. We're afraid we're not going to have enough for us. What's God teach us? Jesus teaches us. It's an investment that multiplies when we give it away and when we share it. But we forget that there's greater promises, that, that what we give here pales, what we receive here, what we have here, pales in comparison to what God has promised is yet to come. Lazarus suffered in his lifetime, but boy, did he receive the abundance and the blessings of what was yet to come. The, the sermon title that I took this morning came from a quote by C.S. Lewis in which he said, has life been so kind that we leave it with regret? Or has life been so good, is life so wonderful, is life so abundant that we leave it with regret? No, he says no, because there are better things ahead than what we leave behind. There are better things ahead than what we leave behind. So the question is, how are we going to leave it when we, when we leave? How we, what condition, what difference, what impact, what blessing stays when we have gone to God's glory? I don't know that all of the regrets that we've thought about, some of the regrets that we have are things we cannot change. We carry regrets of stuff that is in the past, and we have to allow God's grace and mercy to move us forward. But there are things that we can begin doing right now in faithfulness to Christ, in the way that we give ourselves that can start to, to lessen those burdens we might feel, those regrets that we might feel we'd, we'd carry with us if today was our last day. I pray for none of us it's our last day. I pray we have many, many days to come. But most importantly, my prayer, my burden for my life, and my prayer for your life is that day when it comes that we stand before the Lord, we can do it with no big regrets. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we, we receive your blessings of grace and mercy. We receive the promises of what is and what will yet come. We hear the words of Christ, which calls us to, to give ourselves away, to love others, to not seek to be served, but to serve. Lord, our challenge for us is that our lives would have integrity, that these things which we believe and which we profess would be exemplified in our lives, 
that we would invest in others, share with others, give to others in whatever way you would call. So that even in our imperfection, even in our shortcomings, when the day comes we come into your kingdom, we can do so with no regrets because we have lived lives of faith and faithfulness. We pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us to those kind of lives and that we would be open to that. Go with us now and always. That we would remember, no matter how good or challenging our life may be in this moment, there are better things ahead. We pray in Jesus' name.